listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. My name is Joe Bevilacqua. I'm the lead pastor here at New Chapel, and uh, I'm so excited that you're here today with us. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, So there is a correlation in Scripture between your relationships and your spiritual life. Uh, We're starting a new series, by the way, called The Five Relationships, because It's important. Your relationships are spiritual. Jesus was asked by a group of people about what the greatest commandment is. And he was, in essence, asked, could you boil down the whole Bible into like a sentence or two? And Jesus said, yeah, I can. You need to love God with all of your heart, but then you have to love your neighbor as yourself. He boiled everything in the Bible down to a statement where it's like, you got to love God and love others as you. And what is he saying in all of it? There is a correlation, there's a connection between your relationships and your spiritual growth. Relational growth, relationship growth, if you will, is spiritual growth. Jesus presents these as connected relationships. Write it down. You really can't love God effectively without loving people. And you really can't love people effectively, I believe, without loving God relationship growth is spiritual growth. And when your relationships are good, you know it, everybody. Life is good. It's copacetic. How you doing? I eat, you know. But when relationships are bad, when things are going south, if you had a fight with your significant other, how many of y'all know it can ruin a day? It can ruin a life. Your relationships, listen to me, they're spiritual. Jot this down. Relationships must be prioritized. They must be put in order. Soon after I got serious about following Jesus, I found that I had to begin to prioritize my relationships. I had friends, and they weren't good for me. I had to to let some of those friendships go. I wasn't nasty about it. I just had to move forward. And and in some cases, I'll just be honest with you, it it created seasons of loneliness because I had to let some go, but I had to prioritize God. Uh, I I remember uh, when it came to the discussion of like, where are you going to go to college? I had a great scholarship to CMU. I had a legacy scholarship to Kendall College. My grandpa taught there. My dad went there and taught there. I was going to go be architect or a designer or something like that. And I gave all of that up because I needed to prioritize my relationship with Jesus. And so I went down to Tulsa, Oklahoma in my two-door Pontiac Sunfire Coupe, 1995, and uh, everything I owned fit in there. Well, I long for those days, mind you. But uh, I went down to Tulsa and went to Bible college because I prioritize Jesus. And you're going to find as you begin to take steps toward trusting God, you're going to constantly face this priority question of whether you're going to put him first, whether you're going to be able to prioritize the right relationships first. And, and I had to make the similar decision as a pastor. Early on when we planted the church, I wanted to brand myself as the country doctor pastor, that if you needed me, I'd show up at your house, and if you, you, had a, uh, you needed a house call, I'd be right there. And I thought a lot of myself, I'm zipping all over town, showing up at people's house, hi, and you know, I, I thought, this is a Norman Rockwell painting, that's who I am. I'm, none of these other pastors are doing it like me, they don't care, I really care about everybody. What I found was the more that I fed the bears, the more the bears ate. And I found myself traveling the roads all over the place, and I couldn't get my work done, the work only I could do. 
And I also found myself robbing from my wife, my young family, and, and I found myself getting to a spot where I, I didn't have time to have an appointment with my team to talk with my worship leader, anybody about what was going on in the ministry. And, and what was amazing was the common denominator with all these people who needed me to show up at their house or take a meeting after hours, they were not our core people. They weren't really plugged into the church at all. They were here about national average, 1.2 times a month. Professional time thieves is what Kaya and I coined their, their name to be. Uh, I remember one family, they wanted Kaya and I to come over uh, for supper on a Saturday night. I think that's wonderful. I want to go to everybody's house. Please feed me. Like, it's, that's great. But I have certain standards, and Saturday night is something that I just don't do. And it's hard to explain. As a preacher, when you get to Saturday, my mind is on my message. My heart is thinking about you guys, and I, I'm working out things. Even though I'm prepared with my message, I'm useless on a Saturday night. I'm not really a lot of fun to be around. My mind's drifting over toward ministry. And so I don't take appointments on Saturday night. I also get to bed really early. My sister's invited me to things. I'm not going. I love you. It's Saturday. I got to do me. You got to do you. I'll send a card, you know. And everybody kind of understands I'm a little fuddy-duddy about that, but that's okay. So I told these people, hey, thank you for the invite on Saturday. Can't make it Saturday. I gave them three other days of the week. We played tennis back and forth. Ultimately, they got upset. And they said, you're not a real pastor because you won't come to my house on Saturday night. Okay, that's fine. Others wanted to have several hour meetings after hours to fix their marriage, and yet they wouldn't attend church regularly. How am I going to fix your marriage in a couple hours when your life's not right with God? You want me to do something that's outside of my wheelhouse. I was allowing people to steal my time. And ultimately, any time that goes beyond when I'm scheduled, that I've communicated with Kaya, or that I've committed to in the evening, I do special projects with the best of them, any time beyond that, I'm stealing from Eric Kaya, Arreo, Jack, Frank, and Vera. And so I decided to delegate some of these counseling responsibilities to some of my most trusted people. And a very small, a slim minority got upset. They started to complain, not our core people, but those that really didn't contribute or attend faithfully. I'll quit the church if you don't take my call. I'll quit the church if you don't come to my house. Well, you ought to quit the church. I was suggesting that they would counsel with the people that I go to when I have a question, when I need prayer. And, and what's good for the goose is good for the gander, but they wouldn't do it. That wasn't good enough. I couldn't be that way. I wasn't a real pastor because ultimately I wouldn't sacrifice my family on the altar of their hubris. And watch this guy not do that. That is, listen to me, remember this moment, that's a bunch of bull. That's not real life. I know who I am in Christ. I know what God's called me to do. And I have to stay in my lane. I have to do what the Lord has called me to do. And, and, and I have to do what's right for this whole church. I made a good decision. And I'm going to give you two reasons why. First reason is this. It's better for everyone when the leader stays in his lane. How many of y'all work for a boss that veers into your lane every once in a while? like... You just trust me. I got it. You know, back off. You know, generals need to hang out with other generals. Generals need to hang out with the majors. They can't be down hanging out with the privates, trying to figure out who's going to drive the Jeep and who gets to play with the gun. I, I can't settle those. It's not that they're not important. They need to be settled. But if I settle those, we're not going to make it so I can do the thing I need to do, which is strategize so we can win the war, so we can have victory in this thing. If we do that, if I go down there and solve every little small problem, we're going to lose the war. I am a shepherd over a whole flock. 
It's not that the individual isn't important. It's massively important. But the small issues can be solved by, by others besides just me. Listen to me. Here's what I'm trying to say. I'm not the solution for every problem in your life. That's just true. And, and you want to attend a church that believes that. Because we don't want to build this on personality. We want to build this all on, on what I... That's a cult, everybody. That's also describing a lot of Pentecost in the 80s. But anyway... <clears throat> Second reason why it was a good decision, our people are better served when I stay in my lane. When people would counsel with me, think of after our appointment, I'd be sitting with them and I'd be listening to their problems, but my mind would start to veer over and I'd start to think about, man, do we have that series package wrapped up and, 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 and do we purchase everything that we need for, for the event coming up? And, and I'd be thinking about everything I have to do and then I'd veer back to the conversation. And I'm a very, people will tell you, I'm a very focused person. But it was difficult to actually give them the attention that they deserved in that moment. It wasn't the best version of me when I counsel people. Another reason is because when I would counsel people, <laughs> inevitably I'd be counseling some guy, and I know he's beaten up on his wife. And I watch my family members suffer physical abuse. And I'm looking at this guy, sizing him up, doing the math, and thinking, I could take you out back, stomp your face, punch you, and buddy, I could do it today. I could go out there. And it'd be like the boy named Sue. It'd be the mud and the blood and the communion all over that guy. And I'd, I'd straight up fix the problem. Now, listen, that's awesome. That's not a good pastor. And so what we did was we got together trusted people that are patient and able to listen, not beat the congregation up. And they'll give you good counsel on God's word. And they freed me to focus on the things that only I could do. We don't shut people out. We care about helping people solve problems, and yet I had to teach people I'm not your answer. People think that spending time with me is going to help solve the problems in their life. I can prove that that's not true. I'm surrounded by a ton of people that are really screwed up. <laughs> if, if hanging out with me would fix it, I, I tell you what, I'd have a different existence. The most important relationship that you and I have is in the Word it's the word of God that's changed your life. It's the word of God that changes families. And I might mean a lot to you. Listen to me. Remember this. You mean a lot to me too. But it's going to be the most important relationship that we have. And that's in God's word that's going to make the difference. Here's what I'm saying. Relationships must be prioritized. This is a value I hold dear. Now, God presents an ideal for our relationships. I had you turn there. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, you should read the whole chapter. It's the love chapter. We often read this chapter at weddings. It's not often lived out in marriages, but it's often read at weddings. But a portion of all of that says this. Love always protects. Always. Say that word with me. One, two, three. Love always protects. It. Say it with me. It always trusts. Say the next one. It always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love never fails. Always. And so, so what God's word is doing is it's presenting to you an ideal in relationships, but I know how you feel because you've got this ideal. This is what it should be, but you're living what's real. And you're saying, Pastor Joe, I wish that those were the relationships in my life, that they were always protecting, trusting, hoping, persevering. I, I wish that I didn't have failures. But even more, Pastor Joe, I wish that I wasn't the person to let people down all the time. And you're trying to reconcile in your heart and mind where you're at in the ideal of God's word because you realize it doesn't always turn out that way. 
and yet love always, right? How, how do we reconcile these two things? God can give you a power to do things that are beyond your own ability. That in God, you can actually love people like he loves people. You can love the unlovable. You can love somebody and take care of them, and they can never pay you back, and it's okay. Because you're being paid back in ways that are much more meaningful than that. Amen, somebody? Jot this down. The primary relationships in life, I found, they require covenant commitment. Covenant. Now, we're going we're to talk a lot about covenants today. But we don't need just a commitment for the things that we want to do or the things that are easy to do. You need a covenant relationship for the relationships where you're going to wake up some days and look at them and you don't. You don't feel like you love them or you look at them and you're like, you're my enemy. Now, you're like, well, Pastor Joe, that, that's never happened in my marriage. Well, I, I do want to congratulate you on one week of being married. Um, I mean, there's going to be a day where you wake up and look at your spouse like they came out of a tree. Like, what is your problem? You know, nothing's even happening. You just look at them and like, what's wrong with you? Just upset, you know. <laughs> Shame the devil and tell the truth. Now, Kai has never looked at me that way. It's always been with respect and admiration, but... Gotta get back my message. <laughs> Listen, you gotta commit, you gotta covenant to the things that you don't always wanna do. You gotta have a commitment there that goes past your feelings because you're not always going to feel it. Jot this down. The primary relationships of life require Jesus at the center of them. That's a covenant, man, where he's at the middle of all of it. He's in the middle of our relationships in life. Like, if you want to win, you better have Jesus at the center of your marriage and the other relationships of your life. If you leave God out of a process, by the way, a process he created, you're doomed to failure. He ordained these relationships in your life. You're bound to fail without him at the middle of it all. Uh, question, how many of all had a, a DTR talk, a DTR meeting with somebody? You're like, what is that? Uh, you've had one. Let me describe what it is. You had this likely when you were in high school, college, maybe since then. But it's, it's one of these things where, like, you know, you're looking at that girl or that guy, and you're, you're, you're very interested. Maybe you've spent some time together. And, and ultimately, you're like, I don't know. Am I in the friend zone? I don't want to be in the friend zone. I don't want that. I want to know if we're going out or not. Like, are we serious? Are we going steady? Are we committed? And so you have a define the relationship meeting, a DTR, okay? And you sit down at that DTR, and you're trying to, like, very cavalierly bring things up and not expose yourself. You also don't want to say anything that's like, oh, I'm great being friends. And then that other person jumps on it, like, oh, me too. But both of you actually did like each other, and then you done wrecked it. And, and so you're thinking about it. Now, Kaya and I, we had a DTR meeting that was legendary. So Kaya is a PK. She's serving in her dad's kids' ministry, and she's doing the check-in uh, for, for kids' ministry, just, just like what we do here at New Chapel. And, and I am a single man. She's a single woman, and, and I'm going up into the line as though I have kids to check in. I have no kids. I'm checking her out. I'm not checking anybody in. <laughs> and, and I'm going through that line, and then somebody would come up uh, like behind me in line. I'd be like, okay, I'll be right back. And I'd go around the line, and I'd get behind them again, and they'd check in their kid. and be like, hey. And I'm, i got to rock everything that I have at my disposal, everybody. I am Italian. I can't go for, like, the tall, dark, and handsome John Stamos thing. i got to go for the Robin Williams, I'm funny and, and furry thing going on. <laughs> and so I'm Italian. I'm the Nuevo Dago. I'm like, hey, you know. And, <laughs> 
Got to work what I got, everybody. And so I'm just, I'm trying. So Kai and I served together back in kids. She served over in preschool. I served in elementary. And we got done for the day. And I'm putting everything away. I'm putting the puppets away. And I'm getting the room cleaned up. And I keep on looking over at her classroom to see if she's still there. And Kai is glacial slow. And she's cleaning it up. And, and so, yes. And so I zip over there. And, and I'm like, hey, you know. And I'm, I'm just so clunky and awkward like church kids. I wasn't always a church kid, but I like quickly became one. This is like almost veggie tales awkward. I'm like, have you ever considered being a pastor's wife? <laughs> Kai looks at me. She says, yes. It was it. We're together. We might just well have been married from that. <laughs> Very smooth. It's one thing to define the relationship many of us have. It's another thing to define relationships. And when we want to define relationships in different categories, in different ways than God, you're doomed. Well, Pastor Joe, I know I have this car, and I know it needs gas in it, but I'm going to put water in it. Well, that's how some people approach love and relationship and commitment well, I just feel like, well, however you feel about water going in there, it's not a hydrogen car. You're going to destroy the vehicle by doing that. And so sometimes we interrupt processes that God has because we get a wild hair and feel a certain way. So you have to ask yourself, and we can apply this in many different series, many different topics, but ask yourself, am I going to base my life on what I think or what God thinks? Am I going to take Him at His word? Am I going to, am I going to center myself in what He says? Do you have a God or not? Or do you have religion? Well, with religion, perfect. There's denominations out there that would love for you to write your own poetry and call it doctrine. But if you're going to do Christianity, if you're going to follow Jesus, it means you have a Lord. And, and so you have to ask yourself, will you do it his way? Well, Pastor Joe, it's so messed up. I messed up. I went too far. I said too much. Or, or maybe you're facing something where they went too far, and you never thought you'd be facing that. They, they, what they did was mutiny. What they did hurts. How do I pick up the pieces? They, they, they straight up took the foundation out of our relationship. Questions like that are valid, and these are things that people of God have faced all through history. In fact, Psalm 11, it's a prayer of a man of God. If the foundations are destroyed, what do the people of God do? What do the righteous do? What do I do about this? It's all busted up. And some of us find ourselves in that place. For some of us, relationship needed to die. It was toxic. It was wrong. It wasn't godly from the beginning. For others of us, this is the wife of your youth. You didn't see yourself in the spot. What do you do? We're a church that believes that we're built. <laughs> we believe that we follow a God that is built. For when the foundations are busted up to receive his grace, that he can put the genie back in the bottle, so to speak. He can restore broken things that he can make all things new. Jeremiah answers this. He says it this way. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. You find yourself at a relationship crossroads. Here it is. Ask for the ancient path, the old way, the trusted way. You need to go to the word of God. You need to go to a trusted source, the ancient way. We don't need new ways. We need to go back to the old ways. We need to have fidelity to God's word, to the old way. Ask where the good way is. Walk in it. You don't even have to think about it, and you will find rest for your soul. Just, where is it? What, what do we want? God, what do you want me to do? Do it this way. Perfect. Just go do it. Don't overthink it. Don't try to be your own God, and that's where you're going to find rest in this world. Jot this down. Massive. In order for relationships to work, we must let the one who designed them 
define them. So many different directions we could take that, yeah? Welcome to 2024. But when we think about our lives, we have to allow God to be the one who defines what this all looks like. Now, there are five primary covenant relationships, and we have to establish priorities for life's relationships. When these are in order, when there's alignment, there's going to be harmony in your life. There's going to be peace in your home. Not all relationships are equal. They're not. Some trump others. And when you follow Christ, you're going to be fed an opportunity to make the right decision or the wrong decision almost from the get-go. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, kind of a wild passage, but I want to give you some, maybe some clarity and, and, uh, and clear up some things about it. Matthew 10, Jesus says this, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. You say, Pastor Joe, that sounds exactly like Thanksgiving last year. That's my life verse. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to bring that out to you. And without context, you'll think that Jesus is trying to present uh, some sort of divisive mechanism to bust up all of your relationships. What Jesus is doing is using figurative language to convey that when we walk with him and when we do things his way, it's going to stir some stuff up. Yeah. It's not going to make everybody happy, including in your family. Now, I've seen whole families come to Christ. So it's, it's, not, it's not prophesying that it's going to bust up your family. I've seen, I've seen people be devoted, and for years afterwards, but I've also seen it bust up families because you end up saying, Mom, I'm not going to live for your approval anymore. I'm going to live for the approval of God. I'm not asking your opinion on this. I'm going to consult my God on this, and, and I'm going to use wisdom, and I don't need to sign the prenup. There's no backing out of it. Like, you start to go that way, and family all of a sudden gets an opinion. Similar to when people would say, well, if, a, if you were a real pastor, you'd take my meeting. Here's what they're going to say to you. You ready for it? What kind of Christian are you? Oh, have they said it already? I see. Well, you've been going to that church. What kind of Christian are you if you're not going to do this? Well, you think you're so great, but you're, you're leaving this out. I've heard that my whole, whole life. And here's what you could say back to them. Uh, forgiven. Not perfect. You're trying to point out all my flaws? Listen, let's sit down. I can write out more than you can. That is not the currency that you're dealing in. That's, that's not what's happening there. But listen, the, 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 the idea that Jesus is conveying is that it's not going to make everybody happy, and it won't. Now, there, there is a progression. God has a progression to our relationships. We have to do it his way. Here it is. Maybe you want to take your phone out and take a picture. The five relationships. Here we go. The first, in, in order, in, 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 uh, in, in, in alignment, it's you and God. It's you and your relationship with God. The next one is you and your spouse, and then you and your kids. So your spouse is first. got to love your spouse first before your kids. For some of you, that's mind-blowing. You're like, no, 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 listen, I love my kids. I do anything for my kids. I'm having issues with my spouse. Yeah, you don't love your spouse first. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to make your baby, your child, your toddler, your teenager into an idol. You're going to worship your kids. You're going to get them involved in everything because you think that if they just had all the opportunities that you had and if they were spoon-fed everything and got all the jerseys and everything, and if they could get a scholarship because that's the biggest blessing we could have in culture, I'm going to get them all of these different things. And then you're going to have your son show up and want to have a meeting with you and he's wearing a skirt and you're going to wonder why. 
That rubs the cat the wrong way, turn the cat around. You love your spouse first. You have a covenant with her, sir. You, she's going to be there when they done leave you, and they're all going to leave you if you do it right. <laughs> Some of you wish you wouldn't have built your house with a basement, but it's you and God. I'm getting to my third week message. You and God, you and your spouse, you and your kids, you and your church, and then you and your job. You and your church, then you, that is mind-blowing for some of you. You study the scriptures out. You buckle up for this month's series. You'll see it. And, and listen, in godly order, you don't have to make the discernment there. It, everybody can have the correct exchange, and that's what's going to sustain the relationship is the right exchange. You can, you can conduct all of these relationships. They're not at odds with each other, but they have to be, they have to be walked out, played out in order. There is order here. There is rank here. And some of these relationships are meant to go forever. Some of them, like your job, might be for a season. But, but, but you still have to have a covenant with your employer. You still have to commit to what you're going to do. Now, we will go over all of these in the following weeks. But today, I want to show you that God wants Christian relationships to be based on covenant. Covenant. Covenant relationships have a God-defined commitment level. And when you, when you zero in on that commitment level, that's when you're really going to get the most out of it. Luke 22, talking about communion, the Bible says, in the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. We read this oftentimes when we take Holy Communion, yeah? And in this passage, he's talking about the redemption uh, that he's going to be playing out on the cross and resurrection. And, and there's those words, covenant and blood. And this is an ancient concept in your Bible. This is an ancient concept uh, in antiquity where if you were uh, a homesteader out there in Timbuktu in the Middle East, you might not have anybody around you for 30, 50 miles. And so if you had your next neighbor over, I mean, you might be like, hey, let's make covenant with each other. And they would commit to one another in order to see themselves through. They, they would basically say this. It's almost like we're related. They would sacrifice an animal. There was this figure eight pattern. They walked through. They shook hands on it. Ultimately, they would strike covenant. And what, what it would say is this. Everything that belongs to you belongs to me. And everything that belongs to me belongs to you. You'll defend me just like I will defend you. And I would see it through to the end. I'm in covenant with you. Covenant literally means to cut. You would cut a covenant with a sacrifice. And, and this blood thing, I know that probably sounds a little far-fetched, but let me just tell you, it's like that for you. You've even said it before. What have you said? Blood is thicker than... And it's like that. For, for a lot of us, you're like, I'd do anything for my kids. i go to the end of the world. And yet, you, you might do that at the expense of your spouse, and that's not godly order. That covenant then can be struck, and it can be on a higher order than merely being related to one another. Wow. Now... That is, by the way, how God sees you. He sees you in blood covenant. He sees you like you are family. You are his children. He loves you, and, and he'll be faithful beyond anything that you've ever done. This covenant thing is something that is huge. Kai and I, Kai and I have covenant. We struck covenant with each other. We, we were married years ago, but we, we didn't just do paperwork. There's paperwork. The government wants you to do paperwork. It's a license. I don't know why. It means nothing. It's paperwork. The covenant means everything. And Kai and I struck covenant. And, and through the years, Kai and I have had to face it all. Early on, there was so much opposition to her and I being together. It was just so stupid. It was the enemy trying to bust us up. 
And then when we got together, I was broke as a joke. Very Spartan years at the beginning of our marriage. And there was, there was days that we faced a lot of rejection. We have a high standard for our life. We weren't going to compromise because of that. It exploited us. We faced loss. Uh, we faced loss of people that we love. People that we celebrated hol- holidays with, they're, they're gone. And that's hard, and it's heart-wrenching. And, and I remember this one time, it was so bad, and, and Kai and I, uh, I found out the news after she had already gone to sleep, and, and I woke up the next day, and uh, I told her about it, and it was a rough day. I remember that night when Kaya went to bed, she went to sleep, she was crying in her sleep, and I had no idea. And um, the next morning, I, I woke up and had, had time with God, and Kaya got up, and I said, listen, I don't know what, what this all is. This, this seems so wrong, but it's you, me, and Jesus. And we coined that in one of the lowest moments of our life. And I'll tell you, you can't do anything to us. You can't bust this thing up. Because that girl's been with me when I was nothing. Saw something in me when nobody else did. Nobody. You can't bust this up for anything. (laughs) I have a covenant, and what I want for you is that same thing. You don't need covenant for when everything's good. You need it for when everything's falling apart. Now, I want to give you some distinctions in between covenant and contract, because we have a world that signs contracts, but we have a God that wants you to have covenant relationship. Four distinctions, jot these down. Covenant is based on mutual commitment. Contract is based on mutual distrust. Covenant says, I'm committed to you. Uh, beyond how I feel, beyond your contribution. The contract says, if you don't hold up your end to this, I don't have to hold up mine. Write this one down. Covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibility. Contracts protect rights and shirks responsibility. I don't go into relationships thinking about what I'm getting. I go into relationships think about what I have to contribute here, what, what I get to serve in this. That's how I am with you. That's how God is with us. That's that's exactly the heart of your God. And then in contracts, it's all about what's less than. How little do I have to do? Write this one down. Covenant has the interest of the other in mind. Contract has personal convenience in mind. The best relationship is when you have two servants that come together who want to serve each other. Hey, I'm thinking about you. Contracts, these are these... Sterile, contractual agreements, and it's all about what's best for you, and you're gunning just for your position. And then this one, covenant is encouraged in exchange, but contract is always left wanting. When you exchange in covenant, you're happy that you did give. It doesn't hurt. It helps. It helps that I gave to you. It's satisfying to see that blessing in your life. But a contractual relationship, it's an insatiable black hole that's always saying, well, my needs aren't met. I need to wrap this up. What fuels these covenant relationships? What what fuels them to work? Two things. If you take these principles and graft them into your life, they will work and they will fuel your relationships, your love walk, your covenant relationships. They, they, They will empower you to do it. But it comes with a catch. You won't realize the benefit until you do it. When you do it, you'll get great benefit. But if you just write it down and put it on a a page or it's in your journal and you close that up, knowing about it will do nothing for you. If you do it, 
it'll benefit you greatly. Here we go. First one is this. Love is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's not a feeling. I, just, I don't feel like I'm in love with her anymore. Again, welcome to week two, okay? I'm serious. Listen to me. You need to hear this. There's going <laughs> to be wise. There's moments where you're going to feel more in love with them than the day you met them. Remember that old song? Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? I mean, there's going to be moments like that, and it will come and it will go. And there's going to be moments where you need to have love operational in your life beyond what you feel. I know that, God forbid, if I was to become a vegetable, my wife would be faithful to me beyond what she feels and she knows I would do the same. Love is greater than a feeling. People qualify their actions based on what they feel all the time. If I followed my feelings, I wouldn't be your pastor. I'd be doing my own thing. I'd be a designer right now, living for myself. But love does not just give the other person what they deserve. Love gives them what they need. What you needed was a Joe Bevilacqua in your life. You needed some of the people in your group. You need some people that cared about you, and it's beyond just the feels. Colossians 3 puts it really, really well, so clarifying. Above all these virtues, there's a lot, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Keep that scripture up there for a second. Think about what that's saying. Guys, you can put on love. You don't have to feel all the feels, kumbaya, whatever, but the Bible says in Ephesians that you got to love your wife. She wants you to hold her and say, I love you so much. I appreciate all that you're doing. You don't have to feel anything. And you also don't have to be disingenuous about it. You can just say it because it's true. You love her. You're going to take care of her. And I'm telling you, the more that you do it beyond how you feel, you'll start to get those feels. That's what you'll do. You put on love. It means you don't have to feel anything. Guys, I talked about this at the men's breakfast yesterday. You don't have to have the feels during worship. Some of you are in here and you're like, I like this church, but worship's pretty intense. You're sitting back there just sizing up the place, and you're looking at some lady in the front. She's waving at Jesus. <laughs> ah! You know, we're jumping. You're like, that's new. You, know? <laughs> you don't have to feel jack. You can lift your hands and honor your God and not feel like doing it. In fact, that's probably what you should do. I honor you because you're good. You've been good to me. You've been faithful. You didn't have to save me. Thank you. Thank you. You don't have to feel anything about it. Girl in the front, I mean, we've had to tell her not to bring flags. Thank God a tambourine hasn't snuck in this church. <laughs> put it on. You put on love, and then what does it say? All the other virtues are held together by it. So when you got the love thing down, all the other good stuff that you need, it just shows up. I don't know how I'm going to have any grace for this person. Well, put on love, and then all of a sudden you're going to have grace for him i got to press on. Decisions lead, feelings follow. Decisions lead, feelings follow. Feelings are wonderful, but they're poor leaders. You want to let your decisions lead. Second thing, so love is not a feeling, it's a choice. Second thing, got to do these. Capacity to love comes from receiving the love of God. How are you going to love people that are unlovable? How are you going to be committed when maybe somebody else wasn't? How are you going to do it? It's, going to, it's in direct correlation to the love that you've received. 1 John chapter 4, Bible says this. We love each other because he loved us first. You couldn't love anybody if God hadn't shed his love abroad in your heart. Maybe you think that you love people and you aren't, but I'm telling you, any, any, any degree of love that's active in your existence, it's because God loved you first. It's because he loves you so much. 
And as I prepared for today, I thought about Jesus' sacrifice. You know, we're ramping up to Easter, early Easter this year, right? But I'm thinking about it. And I'm thinking about how Jesus was spit on. It's so personal. I was spit on when I was in Pakistan. It's so personal. It's kind of like that teacher in class. You know, you got an A, but she gave you an A minus. It's like, that's how it's going to be, huh? You know what I mean? The minuses I always took personally. You don't talk about anybody? And it's like somebody spits on you. It's worse than being unfriended on Facebook. That's personal, right? Oh, you could have just unfollowed me, you know, but like, oh, we unfriended. This is way more. You spit on somebody, you hate their guts. And as that spit was coming through the air, before it hit him, Jesus forgave them. As they're driving metal into his body and, 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 and nailing him to a cross with every hit, he's just, he's looking at him, he's like, I love him. What, what makes a person into that? I love him so much. I'm sorry I happened to him. I forgive him. It's all forgiveness and all his love. Even while I'm doing things that displease my God, he doesn't reject me. His arms are wide open. His love doesn't change. He's a dad. He cares about his kids. He cares about what concerns us, and that matters. And that's why it means something when we have these moments where it's like, hey, it's you, me, and Jesus. And I feel the heart of God. It's like, hey, it's you and me. We're in this thing together. I'll see you through, and I want this so badly for you. Think about the love of God. He loves you. He's for you. He never lets you go off alone by yourself, though you thought you did. You ran away, and he was there at every turn. He's never given up on you. He wants to see you through in ways you can't imagine. He wants your blessing more than you want your blessing. He loves your kids more than you love your kids, more than you have a capacity to love them. And he wants your heart. I want to give you another verse, but I don't want to just read it. I want to pray this passage over you. It's Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your heart. I pray that he'll be living within you as you trust him. May your roots go deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And I'm praying that you'd be able to feel and understand. I, I do pray that the feels come. How long and how wide and how deep and how high his love really is. His love is not one-dimensional. There's substance to him. And experience this love for yourselves. There's more to your relationships. And I don't, I don't, my prayers, I don't want you just to come to church and experience church. I want you to come into this room and experience the love of God. Experience how powerful these covenant relationships can be. Because it matters. Would you bow your heads with me in the presence of God? Oh God, I pray for my church. I pray that they would experience your love. Now, there's people that came into this room and they've experienced religion or they've experienced a moral code or they've experienced church, but God, I want them to experience your love because that's the thing that turns life upside down. I sense in my heart like there's somebody in the sound of my voice right now and you, you've even said it while I was praying, I hate myself. You hate you. At the same time, I know this by the Spirit of God. You would say that you know that God is love. You know that he is good. It might seem like a very clunky space to put in a correction, but let me just, let me just speak to you like a dad. You have no right to hate yourself. 
if God loves you. He loves you. He accepts you. He accepted you knowing what you would do. Think about that. He knew everything that you would do, and he still accepted you to begin with. You didn't mess it up. You you don't have the capacity to mess it up. He's a dad. You're a kid, and he loves you. God, I pray that you minister to your church, your love, to your people, to your sons and daughters. God, I pray that they would know it, not in their head, but they'd know it. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, but they want that love, help me to find them. In Jesus' name, heads bowed, eyes closed, just for another moment. If you came into this room and you don't know God, the only way to know God is by making Jesus Lord of your life. By making Jesus Lord, you have relationship restored with God. It means that when you die, you'll go to heaven. You'll avoid hell. And listen to me. There are people in the sound of my voice, and you're going to hell. Don't do that. Don't leave something so important as your relationship with God to chance. You can have a no-so salvation. What does that look like? You make Jesus Lord. You decide to stop being your own God. How is that working for you? And you say, I'm going to make Jesus Lord. When you do that, you're saved. That is heaven when you die, but eternal life can come into your existence. Listen to me, today. You can have peace and resolve today. And if you want that, I want to pray with you. I want everybody to pray this out loud. Say it loud with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I could be forgiven. You raised Jesus from the dead. So with my heart, I say, Jesus is Lord. I surrender my life. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Strike covenant in my heart, God. Help me to receive your love. I receive all that you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up for those people. Come on, somebody. Would you lift your hands for the blessing? I want to pray for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, see you next weekend, guys. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.